0: So great to have you here this morning. Um, We're continuing the series which we've been in for several weeks called Stand Firm, and today is the conclusion of that series. We've been talking about spiritual warfare, that your soul has an enemy, and he's the devil. The devil is real. Whether you like to admit it or not, he's real, and he is hell-bent on destroying you but God does not leave us vulnerable and helpless in this situation. So he wants to equip us for the battle that is at hand. And so we turn to Ephesians chapter six, which we believe that the Bible is the word of God, that we can trust it, that it's true, and that it speaks to our very lives. So that's what we're gonna do, Ephesians six, verse 10. It says this, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies Of the devil, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news, so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This passage describes the armor of God, which we wear in this fight against the enemy. Even in this week where we had a terrible tragedy take place and it's so easy to think like, well, bad people are our enemies, right? Bad bad people, terrorists, uh, uh, dictators. And yet this passage reminds us that there are people in this world who are used by evil, but our real enemy is not flesh and blood. Our real enemy is a spiritual enemy. Our enemy would prefer that we live in denial about this. Now we don't wanna be obsessed with our spiritual enemy, because why would we be obsessed with an enemy which we've defeated through Jesus, right? We want to keep our focus on God and what he has for us. We live in that victory, yet we don't want to be um, unaware of the real threat that exists. We do not want to be spiritually naive, so we need to recognize that this threat is real. And I want to read you a quote from John Piper. He said, life is war. That's not all it is, but it is always that. But most people do not believe this in their hearts. Most people show by their priorities and their casual approach to spiritual things that they believe we are in peacetime, not wartime. What do the priorities of your life represent? Would your time, your checkbook, your schedule, would it reflect the fact that you know you are at spiritual war with an enemy who wants to destroy you? Too many people, I think, are casual about this. And I want you to understand that there are no spiritual minor leagues. Okay? You don't sign up to be a Christian and then get to kind of ease into it for the first couple years. There's no alliance, treaty, or agreement with the enemy that he'll just kind of leave you alone for the first few years while you're settling into being a child of God, that he'll just kind of ease up on you so you can go through some classes at church to get prepared. No, the minute that you place your faith in Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior, you are at war with the devil, which is kind of scary. But it's much better than being at war with God, right? Because that's what you were before you accepted Jesus. There is no neutral grounds in spiritual warfare. You're either a follower of Jesus or you are a follower of the devil and his forces. Now, it's crazy to think about. I know a lot of people haven't thought about it that way, but that is the reality. Now, uh, Paul was an apostle. And when he wrote this passage, which we have is Ephesians now, he was in prison, So he wasn't sitting on the beach at Cancun talking about lofty spiritual goals and ideas. He was struggling. He was in a terrible situation. He was hurting and he was probably feeling overwhelmed. And I believe that he probably looked up and he would have seen one of the Roman guards that were guarding him in his cell. And the Holy Spirit used that image to inspire him to create this picture for us, this picture of the armor of God, which equips us for battle putting on the full armor of God does not stop the enemy from attacking you, but it will stop the enemy from defeating you. That's what I can promise. So we've talked about the different pieces of the armor of God in this series, and today I want to talk to you about taking up your sword and shield. They go together. I'm Really excited about this passage, I really love it. I love the imagery that it paints as a guy. I just think it's so awesome and manly. And I feel like this passage could be the inspiration for a blockbuster with like Arnold Schwarzenegger or Stallone or somebody like that, right? I just love it. God equips you with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. How many of you grew up in church doing sword drills, which you took your Bible and you had to flip to a passage really quick. You know the Bible is so powerful. It is the weapon that equips you to fight against the enemy. It's the difference maker. In 1981, a group of 20 missionaries smuggled into China one million Bibles. How did they get them in there? Before that, people were just kind of smuggling in uh, in suitcases and in bags, these Bibles. And so the, the believers in China, they had very little resource and most of them didn't have Bibles. Even pastors didn't have Bibles. And yet this group, they boldly, they smuggled in by bringing to shore this this barge that had a million Bibles on it. And the believers in China, they, they came to this beachhead, southern China, and they grabbed these Bibles and they spread throughout the nation. And historians say that that was the turning point that led to the explosion of Christians in China. So where today, their estimates of the number of Christians in China, that there are anywhere from 67 million to 130 million. Nobody's really totally sure because so many of them are forced to serve God and worship in underground unofficial churches, which aren't sanctioned by the communist government. The government technically allows Christians to worship, but they don't really encourage it, and they try to make it difficult at every step. Do you know that theologians and experts, they, they estimate that by 2025, there will be more Christians in China than in America Isn't that incredible? It started with the explosion of the word of God into this nation. Although I would say not if I have anything to say about it, because we're going to get some people saved in Arizona, aren't we? We're going to tell the gospel to some people who need to know. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The word of God, it, it's this, this piercing, powerful weapon. And the image is painted of it piercing into our soul, which is what it does, right? It also pierces through the darkness that the enemy tries to create in the world around us. So the greatest lies, confusion and deception, the word of God pierces through that darkness. It also pierces through our own lies, our own confusion and our own self-deception, which we're grateful for, aren't we? Because sometimes we lie to ourselves and we deceive ourselves, but the word of God is living and active and it pierces through. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And if you read the Bible, there will be times on a regular basis that you read this and you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is this? How, how did God know that I would need to read this passage today? It's like he's reading my mail or something. And God's like, I did read your mail and I already wrote you a reply in advance. You're welcome. (laughs) There is no question that we're gonna ask which God has not already answered in his word. Some questions might be answered with, I'll tell you later, but he answers every question in his word. The word of God is called the sword of the spirit because the Holy Spirit was the author of this word. He inspired men to write down these words as they were led by the Holy Spirit. He worked through their unique personalities, educations, and experiences, down to the very word choice that was chosen on each page. As the original text was written in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic, the Holy Spirit led that process. Some people ask, well, how do we know that the Bible we read today is accurate to what was originally written? I can't get into that whole conversation right now, but I'll tell you that if you'll do this research, you will be more confident than ever that the Word of God that you hold in your hands is accurate. In fact, it's 99.5% accurate to the earliest manuscripts we have, which were written just a couple decades after Jesus walked the earth. So when there are those slight half of a percent differences, it's things like a comma difference or the spelling of a certain word. But the Bible that you read today is the same Bible that the Holy Spirit desired for us to have. And the Word of God that we read is accurate. It's reliable. It's trustworthy. I believe it's infallible and inerrant. It cannot fail. It cannot be wrong. Even in scientific terms, the Bible is accurate, which is incredible considering that it was written 5 to 2,000 years ago, right? But God, He's, he's better than uh, our recent scientific discoveries, he knows everything and he created this word that we can trust and stands on. So this word of God is such a powerful tool and we need it. We need it in order to know the truth. We need to know the truth. This world is filled with lies, with confusion, and this most popular push in our culture is relativity. Right? Relativity says everything is relative. My truth might not be your truth. What's true for you might not be true for me, which just defies common sense and reason, doesn't it? Truth cannot be subjective. Truth is truth, facts are facts right? We need to know the truth. We cannot rely on our feelings to lead us into what is true. I can't just trust how I feel and and I can't go off of my own logic because my own logic isn't always sound. I need the factual, inerrant, reliable word of God to show me what is true. I want to know the truth. Do you want to know the truth? You can't handle the truth. I just had to say it. You have to know the truth because knowing is half the battle. That's a little phrase I coined. (laughs) G.I. Joe stole that from me. What's the other half of the battle? We have to know, but we need faith. That's the other thing we need. Faith. First, we need the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, because we need to know the truth. Faith doesn't matter if you don't know what to have faith in or who to have faith in. You have to know what God said in order to believe what he said. You have to know the truth in order to recognize lies. And so the author says, pick up the shield of faith to defend against the fiery arrows of the enemy. In ancient times, archers would shoot Arrows, And they would often dip these arrows in pitch so that they were lit and they not only were a physical threat, but then the fire came and it would either help to burn siege engines and warfare, it would catch soldiers' shields on fires. And, And so these Roman soldiers, they carried a shield to protect against these arrows. And the shield was tall, about four and a half to five feet tall. It was long and heavy so that when these soldiers went into battle, they could stand behind these shields. And other ranks of soldiers behind them would also be defended against arrows that would come in from the enemy. So we get this picture of a real dangerous threat that exists. that The enemy would launch these fiery arrows towards us. What are these fiery arrows? We've talked about in recent weeks that the word devil, his name, Satan, that name, it means liar and accuser. That's what that name means. Which is good to remember, right? Sometimes you're going to be facing attacks of the enemy. You're going to be wrestling with different lies, or maybe you're going to be feeling depressed and telling yourself something that you know isn't true. It's good sometimes just to stop and remember. It's not the devil who's attacking me. I need to remember that it's the liar and the accuser who's attacking me. So anything he says is a lie. He's a liar and the father of lies, Jesus said. So I need to just remember that he is a liar and that the faith that I have in God's word, his truth is what will defend us against that. His lies and temptations is what he wants to use to lead you astray and to hurt you. He'll try to lie to you and he'll try to tempt you. But we need faith. Faith defends against these arrows. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Faith, having faith means that you know what God said and you trust him. You trust him so much so that it affects the way that you live your life. In Hebrews 11, that same passage goes on to talk about the heroes of our faith and talks about what they did. And I think it's very interesting. I would make a note to read Hebrews 11 this week. And then you'll see what it, what it goes through this list of, of people in the Old Testament times. And it talks about what they did. I think that's really important. It says, Noah, because of faith, he built an ark. Because of faith, Sarah had a baby when she was very old. Because of faith, Abraham left his home. Because of faith, Moses led his people out of slavery. It's by, it's by faith that God's people, they walked across dry land through the Red Sea. It's by faith that God's people marched around Jericho. And the common theme throughout this passage is that faith leads you to action. I want you to understand this. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is Functional. It's functional. It's something you live out. If you say you have faith, but I can't see that faith, then that means that your faith is weak and it's not gonna be very helpful. Faith is more than just believing, it's becoming. Having faith doesn't mean just say that you trust God, it means show me you trust God. Faith allows us to function like we believe that what God said is true. Because listen, it's not a matter of if those arrows fly, it's when they fly. In that moment, are you going to stand firm and trust God that what he said is true? Man, I want to give you an example of this, and there's no better example than Jesus. He went through a situation where we can look at his example and we can learn and be encouraged by it. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What did Jesus just do there at the end? He was tempted, and he quoted Scripture. He quoted Deuteronomy 8.3. Here he was. He had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, which is amazing. That means he just drank water and he prayed. He ate no food. I usually don't go more than about 40 minutes without eating food. So (laughs) mad respect to Jesus Christ. He was out there being tempted all along by the enemy. And then we get a snapshot of what was going on. Here's Jesus. He had a physical human body. He came to earth as a man, even though he was fully God and he was hungry. We know that, which meant that he was weak. It's probably feeling emotionally a little bit raw. It's probably very tired. And we know how vulnerable we are in that state, right? Right, when I'm hungry, or hangry as I like to say, that's not a good time to bring up some bad news or cut me off in traffic, right? I'm vulnerable, I'm vulnerable. When I'm, I'm hungry and I feel weak, I just don't feel like I can quite handle the same level of stress. That's why Jesus said we need to have a Sabbath day and rest. Right? And so the enemy knows this and he likes to come along when we're the most hungry, and the most longing for, for nourishment, and that's when he tempts us. I'm talking about spiritually hungry. So we all have this hunger in our heart for love, and the, and the enemy will come along and he'll tempt us. He'll tempt us to think that we can fill that hunger with sex. We all have the desire in our heart for security and safety, and the whole enemy will come along and he'll tempt us, say, hey, we can fill that desire for security by having more money, so we should be greedy, and we should hold on to all the money we have instead of being generous. We all have a desire to be recognized and affirmed, and so the enemy will come along, he'll tempt us. Hey, you should get affirmation by showing everyone how powerful and successful you are, getting more followers on on social media, And, and we know that that's not gonna satisfy us either. So here's Jesus, and he's tempted, he's vulnerable, and yet what did he do? He took out his sword, he took out his shield of faith, and he said, no, 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 man does not live by bread alone, right? And this wasn't a gluten thing, this was about the word of God. The word of God. It's a great example. It's, it goes on, this passage, continues. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off, prove it. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded to the scriptures, also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Now I hope you saw this. This is very interesting, this part of this passage. First, I mean, Jesus is being tempted again, we see that. Now, many of you probably haven't been tempted to go find a church building to throw yourself off, right? So what was going on? The enemy came and he tempted Jesus. He said, you you say you're God, you say you're powerful, then prove it, go ahead and throw yourself off this temple. And then what did the enemy do? He quoted scripture at Jesus. Did you catch that? The enemy, the devil, he quoted Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12 when he said, he will order his angels to protect you. That is a great warning for us and a reminder that we need to know scripture as well. Because the devil, he does know scripture. I mean, think about that. Your enemy knows the Bible. And if I'm being honest, the pastor, he knows the Bible better than a lot of the people in our church know the Bible. So what happens when he comes along and twists the truth? Sounds kind of true, right? That sounds like a thing. It's so easy to be led astray. That's exactly what Satan did in the garden when he tempted Adam and Eve. He twisted something that God said. And if you weren't watching carefully, if you weren't paying attention, you you might fall for that. And that's what happened. She did. So how did Jesus stand against that? With the word of God. He knew the truth. He was tempted to test God by the enemy. And he said, no, no, no. Scripture says, do not test the Lord your God. You would say, well, I don't test God, but we actually do that often. Maybe you don't realize that we test God anytime we try to force his hand. That's what it means to test God. Anytime you say to God, essentially prove yourself, you're testing him. So maybe you've ever said this, well, if you want me to do that, God, then you're gonna have to do this. If you say you're good, then you're gonna have to prove it and heal my male pattern baldness. (laughs) Show me your ways, right, Lord? Like, you say you're good, you say you're my healer, then give me Fabio hair. That's what I wanna see. That's testing God. And Scripture says, do not test the Lord your God. There's one place in Scripture it says you can test God. In Malachi 3, God says, test me in this, that when we tithe, he will bless us. So he's allowed to give exceptions to his own rule. Jesus used Scripture to stand against the deception of the enemy. He said, no, 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 I don't think so. It goes on. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world with their glory he said, "I will give it all to you if you will kneel down and worship me." "Get out of here, Satan," Jesus told him, "for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only." He quoted there Deuteronomy 6:13. It says then the devil went away, and angels came and took care of Jesus. What just happened there, right? It's crazy to think even the idea that Jesus would bow down and worship the devil. It's like, "Come on, devil, who you think you're talking to here? This is ridiculous." This paints a great picture for us, and it helps us understand what was going on. we got to realize that Jesus came to bring a new kingdom, right? And he has been longing for the day when his kingdom would be established on this earth, when evil would be no more. So what was the devil tempting him with? He was saying that if you submit to me, I'll give you what you want, and I'll give it to you right now. You don't got to go to the cross, You don't got to wait until your second coming. No, no, I'll give it to you now. So it it was a temptation in a sense to Jesus. And we're all tempted at times to take shortcuts when God has a plan for us. Have you ever been tempted to try to get your own way when God is leading you another way? I mean, I know I have. I've been tempted to try to make things happen in my own time. I've been tempted to try to, to figure it out myself instead of relying on God. And of course, we know that Jesus would have never worshipped Satan. But do you realize that people do that every day? and not the way you think. I'm not talking about Satan worshipers. I'm saying this, anything that does not bow in submission to God, bows in submission to the devil. So listen to this, is possible to be a Christian who loves God and is going to heaven, who withholds parts of his life from God, and, and by not submitting those parts of your life to God, they are by default still submitted to the devil. Our life needs to be fully submitted to God. And we hold back those areas because we're trying to have our own desires be fulfilled. We think it's going to be a way to, to make our desires come true. Like we want to, we want to feel financially stable. So we, we try to say, like, God, I love you, but not my money, right? Like, just keep your hands off that part, right? So that, that makes me feel safe. I need, I need all of it, right? But we think, you know, we think that that's going to make us safer and secure. But in reality, by not submitting that part of our life to God, it's by default still submitted to the enemy of God. That's why so many people struggle with finances. That's why so many people struggle in their love lives because they think, well, I can't do it God's way. I mean, that's just unrealistic. It's not practical. We would be so easily led astray by these temptations. We need to look at Jesus. And again, he said, no, no, no. You must worship the Lord your God only. Trust the Lord. Submit everything to him. I'm going to not try to figure it out my own way. I'm not going to try to do it on my own time. I'm going to bow in submission to him and worship him with my life. Whereas Adam and Eve gave in to temptation in the garden, Jesus stood firm. He stood firm as our advocate against the lies and temptation of the enemy. He did it by taking up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and the shield of faith. He said, I know the truth and I'm standing on the truth. I know what God said, because I'm God, and I'm believing it, is what Jesus said, right? He's a great example for us. The devil, he is a liar, and he is an accuser. He wants to tempt you and accuse you, so it's good to be on guard against that. His fiery arrows, right, they're coming. They're gonna constantly come into your life. The more aware you are of the enemy, I think the more he attacks you. Before we started this series, I told our staff, you better be ready, because when we kick over this anthill, the enemy's not gonna like it. He doesn't like the idea of a bunch of Christians living in Arizona who are on fire for God and aware of the schemes of the enemy out to stop evil in this world. He doesn't like that, no, no, no. So be on guard and I believe that it was a valid concern and I believe that the enemy did bring extra uh, strategies and schemes against the leadership of this church and this church and we see things happening around us. We don't live in fear of those things because we know we're victorious. We just have to know that the enemy is real, the threat is real and he does not want you to be effective for God. You've got to be aware of the lies that he uses, and you've got to be able to stand against that. Here's how Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We want to figure out what Scripture says, and we want to hold on to so it. We want to hide it in our heart. One way you can do that is by memorizing Scripture. So you find a verse that you're reading that sticks out to you, um, you can make a note of it in a journal or on your phone and put it on a sticky note and remember it while you're brushing your teeth. Go over it in your car while you're stopped at a red light and just hide that word of God in your heart. You need it in your heart before the attack comes. Okay? You might say right now, like, hey, hey Ryan, I'm not really into the whole memorizing thing. You know, this isn't school, I'm already done with school. I don't have anything to prove. I'm not signing up for Bible quiz. But listen, I don't want you to be vulnerable. This isn't about passing a test, it's about living a life in victory. So here are some of the attacks the enemy will bring, and I'm just gonna give you some examples of how the word of God defends against those attacks. Enemy will come and say things like, you can't trust the Bible. It's outdated, it's irrelevant, it's no longer helpful. But you gotta know, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, every scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. The enemy will come and they'll say, you don't matter to God. He probably doesn't even know you. But you know, 1 Corinthians 8.3 says, but whoever loves God is known by God. The enemy will come and say, hey, just do whatever feels good, man. Just live for the day. Life is short. But I know Hebrews 9.27 says, each person is destined to die once. And after that comes judgment. So I'm not just living for today. I'm also living for judgment day. The enemy will say, hey, if you go to church once in a while, you can do whatever you want, man. You already crossed your T's and dotted your I's. You went on Christmas, you went on Easter, and you went when the Cardinals weren't playing. You're good, man. Just live free. Live free. James 2.14, though, it says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? The enemy will tempt you. Maybe you've stood against that kind of temptation where it just keeps coming. It's like an onslaught. And you think, man, this temptation is too much to bear. Might as well give up. Well, I know that 1 Corinthians ten thirteen it says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. The truth protects against these lies. The enemy will come and he'll say, you're all alone. I think everyone in this room has had a time in life where you felt lonely. And we know how loneliness can drive us to terrible decisions. I know Genesis 28:15, though, it says, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. God has already told me I'm not alone. God said, you won't have enough. He said, well, the enemy will come. He'll say, you won't have enough. He'll, he'll get us to believe this lie and, and have this fear in our heart that, that ends won't meet. And I, th- I see so many people that are driven by this fear that, man, I won't have enough to survive. I'm not gonna be able to pay my bills. I'm not gonna be able to get through this situation. But we know what God says in Philippians 4, 19. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. The enemy will say, you're too weak for this. He'll say, you can't handle this. And you'll tell yourself, I I can't handle this. This is too hard. This is just too hard. No one can handle this. But I know 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, God said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. The enemy will come and he'll lie to you and he'll say, God has given up on you. You've sinned too many times. You did things that were too terrible. He's definitely given up on you. But you know, Hebrews thirteen five says, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Yeah. And I think one of the greatest lies that we've all been tempted to believe at one point or another, the enemy will try to get us to believe God doesn't really love you. But you know, 1 John 4 9 says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. Every lie of the enemy has already been defeated by the truth of God's word. We've got to know that truth. We've got to know those promises so that we will be equipped and ready to stand against his schemes. You don't have to fall for these lies, you can go into the fight already prepared with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You'll be ready to pick up the shield of faith, to trust that word. Think about the picture of the Roman soldiers that inspired this passage of the armor of God, that Roman army was the most effective army in ancient history. I can just imagine what it would have been like to see that army marching marching towards your city to conquer you and your people. It would have been terrifying. They would have just said, well, good game. Good game, everyone. We tried. Might as well just go home. We don't stand a chance. I just imagine, but what if you saw that army coming towards you and only 50 soldiers had a sword? Hmm, you'd say, well, those 50 guys look like bad dudes, but what are the rest of them about to do? They're going to hug us to death? Like, what's, what's going on here? Right, because we know that an army without weapons is just a crowd talking trash. It's not that scary. But I would say that a church of people who don't know the word of God is like an army without weapons. They can talk a big game, but they don't even know what they're talking about. If we want hell to tremble when we move, we have to be armed for battle, church. Many many of the questions that we have, which keep us up at night, a lot of the uncertainties that we face, our doubts and our vulnerabilities, they come from our own lack of knowledge of God's word. And people will think, you know, I think a lot of times too casually, like, well, I'm okay. I don't really need to know. I've got a church, I've got a pastor who can help me out if things get dicey. Pastor's got a sword for me, so he'll carry it. And uh, I'll just go to him if I have a question, which is a bad idea, right? We know how quickly things can go bad when the enemy attacks, right? A lot can go wrong between the time the enemy attacks, lies to you and tempts you between that time when you can get to a pastor or a leader or a church to ask a question or to try to get help. A lot can go wrong in that time. You need your own weapons. Right. You need to be equipped yourself for battle. Your pastor can help you show you some some great tips. Your life group leader can show you some sweet moves. Right. But you need your own sword. You know what I'm saying? Don't get lost in the metaphor and miss the message. You need to know the word of God so that you can stand on the promises of God when that attack comes. If we don't know God's word, we find ourselves, we get in so much trouble. If we don't have that sword of the spirit and that shield of faith, man, I've seen Christians, they lose their minds. They start going through something that It's not original, right? Like, you haven't gone, think about this, you haven't gone through anything that someone else hasn't already gone through. It's just a good thing to remind myself, right? There's been another Christian who's already gone through this. The enemy is clever, but he's not original. He's got the same strategies. We know that he's got attacks, he's got ideas, he's got ways he tries to lead people astray. He knows that certain things are effective more so than others. So he knows what he's doing, but God has already equipped you for every struggle and every trial and everything that the enemy will throw at you. Don't be one of those people that loses your mind. Don't be one of those people that panics when the enemy lies at you or attacks you or creates chaos in your family. Don't start trying to to come up with solutions that that are outside of God's plan, trying to negotiate with God or, or tell, okay, God, if you get me through this, I promise, I promise I will go to church every week for the rest of 2017 at least. I will not eat dessert after 7 p.m. We start negotiating with God. God, God, get me through this one, okay? I will never say another swear word. I pray that you'll help me right now. Like, listen, you don't need to negotiate with God. You don't need to come up with different things. He, He doesn't need your negotiations. You have nothing that he needs, right? And we don't stand on our weak promises to God. We stand on his strong promises to us. His promises are strong. Our little weak promises to God, they don't last, do they? We negotiate, we've all done it, I've done it. God, if you help me out right now, God, I will never do this again. And then you forget about three minutes later but God does not forget his promises. His promises are strong and they never fail. In fact, we're reminded in scripture in Joshua 23:14 it says, "You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed." Every promise that God has ever made has been fulfilled. Some promises he's made have not been fulfilled yet, but we can look at all the promises that have been fulfilled and we know that the things that we're waiting to come to pass will come to pass because he's never broken his word before. So I know I can trust him. I know Jesus is coming back, right? I know that he will right the wrongs of this world and he's never lied to me yet. I can trust him. I can trust God. You might think, well, Pastor Ryan, what if I'm going through something? I don't know what the Bible says about that issue. What am I gonna do then? And I'd say, you need to get the spiritual gift of Google. It's a thing. I'm a real practical guy, guys. You know what I'm saying? Like, there might be something that comes up in your life. There has never been more lies and confusion in this world, but it's never been easier to find the truth. I'm, I'm your pastor. I'm literally telling you right now, next time you're going through something hard, get your search engine opened up and type in, what does the Bible say about whatever you're going through? What does the Bible say about unforgiveness? What does the Bible say about being a husband? What does the Bible say about raising little kids that are demon possessed, (laughs) right? And I believe that the Holy Spirit of God will lead you into all truth. Of course, you gotta be careful what you read on the internet, you gotta use wisdom, but God will guide you and you'll find stuff, you'll be like, man, the Bible talks about this? You'll be looking at people like, did you know this was in the Bible? I didn't know this was here. God is so good. You can find the truth. You can memorize it, put it in your heart. That's hiding it in your heart so that it's there when you need it. And then you live it out. You live it out. Faith is functional. It's something that's supposed to be lived out. Faith doesn't just save us from hell. It saves us from the schemes of hell on a daily basis. We need faith in God's word and that what he says is true and that we can trust him. My goal for this series is that we would understand the threat that we face. Not that we would be obsessed with it or think that there's a demon hiding in every bush trying to take us down. We keep our eyes focused on God. But we need to be aware of the threat so that we can recognize and stand against the strategies of the devil. We don't wanna be vulnerable. We don't wanna be naive or unaware. And we don't wanna be people who stand on the sideline while other people fight the battle. Right? Everyone in this room, you see the people sitting around you, everyone here needs you to have his or her back. Anytime a Christian sits on the sideline with his head in the sand, he leaves an opening in the flank of God's people. So will you be people that say, I'm going to recognize the threat, I'm not going to live in fear, but I'm going to suit up. I'm going to be equipped with the armor of God. I'm going to be ready to stand against the enemy so that when the day of evil is over, I will still be standing firm. I think let's just stand to our feet at this time. It's a great way of just symbolizing in this series It says stand firm, we're going to stand. And if you're committed to saying, I'm going to be someone who gets in the fight, you standing right now can be a way of, of representing that. We want to say, hey, I'm going to, Get in there, I'm gonna make a difference. I'm gonna be a self-feeding, spirit-led force for the gospel of Jesus Christ in this world. Because I believe that each and every one of you will make a difference in at least one person's life. Maybe you didn't come to church today expecting to hear a Braveheart speech, right? But the stakes are so high, aren't they? There are so many souls which hang in the balance, the souls of your kids the souls of your neighbors and your family. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ to deliver them from the lies of the enemy. And you carry that truth within you. You can be someone that says, I'm going to stand against the strategies of the devil. I'm going to put on the armor of God. I'm going to be equipped with the belt of truth and the breastplate of God's righteousness. I'm going to put the shoes of peace that come from the gospel on my feet. I'm going to put the helmet of salvation on my head. I'm going to take up the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. And I'm going to fight against the enemy. He is going to cry when he sees me coming, right? you can stand for God and make a difference. And we know that in this battle, we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. That God has already won the victory. When Jesus rose again out of that grave, he won the victory over sin and death. So we're not just hoping for the best, we're hoping in the best. We have the best leader. We have the best king who is risen from the grave and victorious over sin, and he cannot be defeated. I'm glad that my leader cannot be defeated. So we can say, Jesus, I'm gonna stand with you. I'm gonna follow you wherever you lead me. We wanna be used by you, God. We wanna be used by you in our community. Use me and my family, Lord. Let me be someone that stands against all the strategies of the devil so that your word will go forth, that your light would penetrate the darkness and that people would see the hope that is available to them in Jesus Christ. Aren't you grateful for that hope? Let's just bow our heads right now. Thank you, God. We love you, Lord. Every person that's here as a believer right now, I just pray that you would, in your heart, just commit to putting on that full armor of God and being prepared for what stands before you. Just say, Lord, help me to do that. Help me to be ready. God, let me be aware of the threat. Help me to stand guard, Lord, and keep my eyes on you. I believe he will help you. There's no struggle that you're going to go through that's too great for God. Maybe you're here and you'd say, I don't know God the way that you're talking about I'm definitely not on his side and you know if you're not you know if the sin in your life has separated you from God I don't have to convince you of that the Holy Spirit shows us that we're sinners so that we can recognize that and repent of our sin and receive forgiveness and so right now you might be saying man I need to be right with God I want to accept Jesus I want to be on his team I want to be equipped for this struggle I don't want to be defeated any longer and the bible says the way you do that is you accept jesus as your lord and savior you place your faith in him you recognize that he died on the cross for your sins and you believe that he rose again from the grave and you say god i'm gonna follow you i'm no longer living for myself i'm gonna live for you so maybe you feel right now the holy spirit's pulling on your heart and drawing you to give your life to god maybe maybe you never have or maybe you maybe you ran away from god so long ago and you ran so far away that you'd say i need to rededicate my life to god today If you're ready to take that step of faith, just pray this prayer with me in your heart. Say, God, I know that I've sinned and I need your forgiveness. Lord, I believe that you, Jesus, died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. And I believe that you did not stay dead, but you rose again on the third day, defeating sin and death. So Lord, I pledge you my life. I'm gonna follow you from this day forward. Thank you for the victory that I have in you. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, if you pray that prayer, I wanna celebrate with you. We're not gonna embarrass you, but we wanna recognize what God has done in your life today. It's the best decision you would ever make, and there's nothing to be ashamed of. When you give your life to Jesus, that's the greatest day of your life. So, if you pray that prayer today, I'm asking to ask you just to slip your hand up on the count of three. Say, hey, that's me. One, God loves you. Two, there's nothing better than being on His team. Three, just shoot that hand up as a way of saying, I prayed that prayer, that's awesome. Anyone else say that's me? Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. God is so good, right? There's nothing better than when people accept Jesus and receive that victory. Aren't you grateful for that victory? The mercy of God, which overcomes every sin in our life. It overcomes every attack of the enemy. We do have grace, which gets us through every situation that we're in. So we can just stand in that. We can rest in that. We can praise God in the middle of every storm. And we should do that right now. Let's give God praise, come on.